If you're living the days in the life of an ag teacher, then you'll fit right in. I'm your host, Carly Erickson, and I'm here to remind you to do what you love and love what you do. As always, thanks for listening and welcome to class. Today we're going to be continuing our conversation about food facts versus fiction and how it's a little bit complicated and we find that it's not just facts and it's not just fiction. There's a little bit in between. Today we're going to look at it from the food processing and packaging standpoint. Earlier we looked at the soils and how that affects our growing and how that affects our food and today we're going to talk about our food on a large scale. We're here with Kate Gilbert, an assistant teaching professor at Iowa State University. Kate teaches food science and human nutrition. Kate, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. All right, well, thank you for having me. Um, As you said, I teach here at Iowa State, um, and I had a few steps to to get here, um, especially in food science. Uh, So I grew up on a century um, family farm, uh, really focused on diversity, so um, grew up with brown Swiss dairy cows, um, raising pigs, and a variety of different crops. Um, and so that got me a lot uh, curious um, about how food was grown and how that affects the food quality. Um, at the same time, I was baking quite a bit growing up. Um, we had a garden. We did a lot of canning and freezing and preserving. Um, and so that really piqued my interest. Um, I knew that I liked all of those things and had curiosity there. Um, I also really liked science in school. Uh, and I was very lucky that I had an older brother at Iowa State at the time, and he brought home the course catalog. It used to be a big book. Um, I opened it up and found food science. I went, whoa, what is this? Um, but it was the tie-in that I was looking for to take that creativity in the kitchen, um, my agricultural background, and my interest in science, and be able to put it all together. So I did my undergrad in food science here at Iowa State. Um, I am very lucky that I'm a third-generation um, student through Iowa State. My grandparents were both here in the 40s, and my mom or my grandmother actually did a master's in nutrition um, in the 40s. Uh, my mom was home ec ed at the time. Um, it's now family consumer science um, in the 60s, and uh, so I came back um, early 2000s to, to do food science. So um, kind of a, a fun history there of, of that background, even though we've been doing something slightly different all the way through. Uh, After that, uh, my undergrad, I went and worked in the industry. Um, I worked with ingredients and developing new ingredients, uh, mostly around corn, um, but got to see a variety of different things in the food industry. I did a master's uh, via distance um, through Kansas State University, um, and then I came back about five years ago to teach. Um, And a lot of that was just figuring out where my love was um, for food and also being able to spread that knowledge um, and provide a lot of the uh, really applied pieces of science, which has always been more interesting to me than um, the basics. You always have to start with the basics, but why um, and why is that important um, has always been my interest. So uh, for the last five years, um, I've taught food science classes in the department here um, at Iowa State and really focused around ingredient functionality. So why do we put different ingredients in food products? What do they do? What are they there for? Um, what are the considerations when you're picking out ingredients um, really in complex systems? And so I do a variety of that, including the product development capstone course, uh, which is really exciting because teams uh, develop a new product from scratch all the way through the commercialization of what goes in the box uh, to put on the grocery store shelves. So it's it's a lot of fun and uh, a lot of entertainment seeing what they come up with. Yeah, that's awesome. It seems like you have definitely a wide variety of backgrounds, even mm-hmm. within your family. Um, and your passion for food obviously comes out and you get to do that every day in your job. So that's really awesome. Yeah, a lot of fun. Um, so 
what would you say are the real facts versus fiction of our food system? So it's very complicated. Uh, whenever I see fact versus fiction um, or any sort of media soundbite that says something is good or something is bad, um, I get frustrated because it's so much more complex um, than these are good things, these are bad things. Um, we see so many diets today that are excluding food groups entirely. Um, that might be okay for the short term, but long term, that's not going to be beneficial. Um, we see uh, media clips that are extrapolating out of journal articles um, where it might have said that there's antioxidants in dark chocolate and that might be beneficial to your health. And, and then you just see the media clip like, eat more dark chocolate, <laughs> right? right. So not really telling um, the full story. And so it's just a lot more complex uh, we do tons of research, tons of great research comes out of Iowa State and many of the other land-grant institutes, but we don't have all the answers. Um, we also see scientific studies based on how they're set up that give differing results. Um, and so to, to just do fact and fiction and say everything over here is a fact and everything over here is fiction um, gets difficult to really put things in boxes like that because there's usually more to the story um, just nothing is is that clear-cut. It's often more gray than that. Right. Absolutely. I agree. How would you say that consumer mindsets have evolved over time? Yeah, so it's really interesting to look through history. Um, I always try to touch on a bit of history with, like, the basic food and the consumer um, class that I teach. Uh, it's changed quite a bit over time. Um, and a lot of it is just based on other parts of their lives. So if you look back to um, after World War II. That's really when um, food industry started to boom in terms of making more food for consumers to buy in the grocery store. Uh, so it's where like TV dinners came around. Sure. At that point in time, they were a godsend because um, homemakers were doing all the food prep from scratch. Right? So they were excited when there was something that would save them some time um, to be able to do things more efficiently. Um, and new foods in the grocery store were exciting, right? Exciting to try and, and taste and see what you liked. Um, and so there wasn't um, a lot of, is this good for me? Is this bad for me? Um, at that point in time, it was just novel um, and it was helping people save time. Um, at that point in time, most um, of our population had good food knowledge. Um, they might not all have been rural, but they had rural roots um, so that they at least probably were familiar with farms and how food was grown. Um, they likely still had a garden. Um, they were doing a lot of food preparation themselves. Um, over time, more convenience um, has saved people more time. Um, but the more convenient food um, that exists, the less knowledge uh, we've held on to food-wise. Um, and you can't blame that all on convenience food items in the grocery store, but um, our lives have gotten busier. We've looked at places to save time. Um, more technology has come through. You know, 70s and 80s were crockpots for working women and more microwaves. Um, and consumers were looking for more convenient food. And so the food manufacturer said, yes, we will get it for you. Um, but what's happened there is less and less people know what's in their food. Um, it makes it harder to make uh, nutritionally sound decisions. It's one thing if you make chocolate chip cookies at home and you watch the three-quarters cup white sugar, three-quarters cup brown sugar go into that um, one cup butter, right, before you start mixing. You have a pretty good idea what's in there um, and you probably think about it a little bit more when you eat those cookies um, versus if you buy something in the grocery store or at a restaurant, um, you have less idea how much sugar, fat, 
salt, other things go in there that may affect your diet. And that's been shown fairly well. The USDA tracks how much food is consumed in the home um, and outside the home, which doesn't perfectly tie to, to restaurant consumption and, and grocery making from scratch. Um, but what, what gets shown is the more you eat outside the home, the less fruits and vegetables get consumed and typically more fat, salt, sugar get consumed outside the home. Um, and so we're seeing that convenience uh, trend, um, much of of what has been pushed over time, um, kind of reaching a tipping point where it may not be as advantageous as it used to be because that knowledge is gone. Um, and so it's harder to make decisions based on nutrition. It's also harder to make decisions based on economics um, because the more work you do making your own food at home, um, you can save money. But if you don't have that knowledge anymore, um, then you don't have that capability or that flexibility if your economic situation changes. Um, and so it's really interesting that everything has evolved over time. The consumers have evolved over time. The food companies have. But they've sort of gotten themselves into a, a position that is not necessarily beneficial, even though um, they've gotten themselves there together. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Uh, definitely over the generations, we've seen lots of changes and the way that people think and the way that we eat. And like you said, I mean, these these large scale producers, they gave us what we asked for. Mm -hmm. And for that time, it was necessary. And now I don't I don't know if it's necessary anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so based off of that evolution, what are our consumers asking for today? Yeah. So there's two pieces to that. There is a large portion of the population and probably all of us to some regard. Um, when we buy food in the grocery store, if we go to the restaurants to get food, we want food to taste good, right? There's a, a secondary line here that we'll talk about, but if food doesn't taste good, you're only buying it once, right? You're not right. coming back. So yeah. there's, there's um, it's hard to forget, you know, we kind of lose sight of that sometimes because there's many other things that we're also asking for with food, um, but it has to taste good. It has to look good. It has to be something we want to go back and eat again. Um, and for a large portion of the population um, who's not very loud uh, about their habits necessarily, that's what's driving what they're going to buy in the store. Um, it's convenience. Is it, does it taste good? Does it fit my budget and my lifestyle? Um, but what the big push and probably what we hear more on social media um, and what's pushing food companies more now um, than especially 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, especially 50 years ago, um, is transparency. Um, and that's pushed for a couple different reasons. Um, when convenience items first came out, people had quite a bit of food knowledge. And so they had, you know, their their comfort level was different. They could probably look at a food package and understand what was in it a little bit more. Um, and it wasn't a large portion of their diet. But now we've flipped a little bit. I think 2010 was the year that more than 50% um, of food was being consumed outside the home. Um, and I assume that that number has just gone up um, here in the last 10 years. So now people are going, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know much about any of this. And I don't know what the food is in the grocery store. Um, we know we have some issues in terms of health as a nation. Um, we know we have some issues in terms of environment and agricultural impact. Um, and I don't have enough knowledge to know what any of these labels mean and what's in my food. And you better start telling me. And so that transparency has kind of been pushed through like clean label um, terminology. Uh, it's been pushed just more for like, where does my food come from? And can you track this, um, especially with meat or more of the animal products. Um, but it really threw food companies for a loop. Food companies who had been producing the exact same food um, for quite some time and did not have to answer those questions, all of a sudden had to explain 
to a consumer base who doesn't have a lot of food background, um, how they're making food at a large scale. And even if it is safe and consistent and a high quality product, uh, when you talk about huge bats and <laughs> huge tanks and large production equipment, um, it's hard to take that information and explain it to a lay audience. Um, and so many companies, I would say, stuck their head in the sand and went, oh, I hope this goes away. (laughs) We don't want to have to explain this. Um, Other companies have taken a stab at it. If you see some packaging that shows what's in it. Um, So I think Naked sometimes shows like how much of each fruit went into their juice drink. Um, I've seen some other bars do that. Um, I've seen more packaging on um, like where is this, this sourced? So like chocolate or coffee often has that story like, you know, these are our producers and we have a relationship with them and um, this is, you know, the supply chain of, of how we get the product there. Um, we're starting to see a little bit more of that transparency. Um, but I would say for a large portion of the food industry, they went, oh, geez, um, because it was so different than how they started out and it was so different than what consumers had been asking for um, up until I don't know, I would say in the last 10 years, maybe that transparency push has, has come around. Yeah, absolutely. So are we seeing consumers have an interest in the individual ingredients that are going into their food? Yes, um, and that ties a little bit to knowledge. It also ties to that kind of loud uh, uh, consumer group, um, and that's that's not good or bad, right? But um, we know that um, a smaller portion of the population is pushing many of these trends, Um but food companies will listen. They are in a business to produce what um, consumers are looking for. Um, And social media has just amplified um, many of those things. And so with clean label and with wanting transparency, um, there was a bit of a push for ingredients you can pronounce or ingredients that were in your grandmother's kitchen. And as a food scientist, you go, whoa, time out, right? There's a bunch of names for ingredients that are not far off of what you had at home um, that we just named differently. And so it was a kind of Pandora's box to open and then try to start explaining each of the ingredients. Um, But also with just consumers not understanding what those ingredients are in there for, they don't understand impacts if you take those ingredients out. Pretty much every ingredient to be in a food product has to have a purpose. Otherwise, the food companies would not pay for it. And you can take some of them out, but often something's going to change. So it could be the, the consistency of the product might change a little bit from one batch to the next. It won't hurt you, but it may not, um, you may not notice the, you know, Oreo cookie looking the exact same every single time. You know, so there's always ingredients in that are going to make consistency, that your bread is the exact same color every single time. You may lose some shelf life, so your product may not last as long um, if you take things out like antioxidants that are going to slow down your fats and oils from going bad. So you can take them out, but there's going to be ramifications. And with our push to reduce food waste, those are kind of uh, countering pieces. Often it's not the processed food that goes bad on us. Often with with food waste and much of what we're looking for, it's at produce and and meat and milk and things that are a little bit more perishable. Um, But there is give and take um, in terms of how long food lasts and those ingredients in there. And then some of them are those ingredients that would be under the, we can't pronounce, are things that make it more convenient 
cake mixes are huge, you know, when we, we talk about these things. There's a bunch of ingredients in cake mixes, but they're there mostly so that if a consumer doesn't read the instructions on the box, they're still going to get a cake at the end. Because if you screw up a cake mix, even if you know you did something wrong, the average consumer is going to blame the mix, right? They're not going to fess up um, that they didn't measure the water or put in extra eggs or any of those things. And so we put in extra ingredients to make sure that your cake turns out every time. And so there is, you know, a consumer set that's asking for fewer ingredients. And there are definitely food scientists who are up to that challenge and are trying to figure out creative ways to reduce the ingredients in a food product um, and still get you the same quality, same shelf life, so that you're meeting those consumer demands. You know what time it is. It's time for the Ag Career of the Day. Today's career falls under food processing and packaging as a butcher. According to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, butchers work with raw meat product to be cut, trimmed, and packaged for retail sales. Becoming a butcher does not require formal education. However, most of the skills are learned on the job. As of 2019, the average annual salary was about $32,000. And that's the Ag Career of the Day. One of the two largest things that we talk about is ingredients and then the thing that goes right along with it, which is the packaging. Yeah. And so what do you think about claims on packaging and how is it affecting what our consumers believe? Yeah. So food packaging is something that we spend a lot of time on. Um, for instance, with that product development class that I teach, uh, at the end, the, the all of the students have to have a legal label. And this is highly regulated, um, mostly through the FDA, um, USDA, if it's, if it's a meat product. But everything that's gone in regulation-wise has been to provide more information to the consumers to make sure that the companies are being held accountable for what they're putting in those food products. But you look at a food package and there's rarely any extra white space, right? It gets filled with all sorts of things. And so our, our loss of food knowledge and the additional things that go on food labels make it confusing. And so there's definitely a consumer set who understands what's on food labels, but there's a bunch who don't. And because there's so much stuff on there, it is probably quite intimidating to to start. So the Nutrition Facts Panel has been updated to try to make it easier. But if you weren't really sure what the Nutrition Facts Panel did or told you originally, the new ones might not be that helpful. It is highlighting added sugars. It did really take a look at fiber to make sure that everything we were counting as fiber had sound scientific research behind it. It pulled away um, fat calories, um, a little bit different, so you were just looking at total calories. So it should be helpful, but again, confusing. Added sugars is extremely confusing if you read the regulations. Um, The idea was to be able to differentiate between natural sugar and fruits and vegetables and like the lactose and milk compared to the added white granulated sugar or high fructose corn syrup or things that were being added, but it's confusing if you didn't know that there was sugar already in the label. So everything that's been done food label wise is meant to be helpful, but uh, I'm not sure it's really working for the average consumer. Yeah. What about label claims that are about how our food is grown? Yeah, these get even more complicated. Um, So if you're not really sure what the the health claims or the nutrient content claims um, or the nutrient facts panel or ingredient deck is telling you, um, then it's a whole added layer 
of confusion when it comes to how food is grown and how that comes on labels. It is important, though, for a consumer set who wants to know more about how their food is grown. Um, and that's how we know that the, the shift and, and what's kind of pushing transparency, that shift of one inconvenience for so long and kind of losing some of that food knowledge is turning back around because we're seeing some of these questions about wanting to know more, potentially with, with folks who have held on to food knowledge all the way through, but also with some who haven't and are realizing that's something that they want to know more about. But then then you start to get lots of things on social media that are going to tell you, you know, either something is going to save the world or going to kill you. And <laughs> it's far more complex. And that's really where that fact and fiction kind of gets crossed off. Right. Um, organic. Organic has a national standard. Um, there's a lot of regulations that go with it. There's a ton of paperwork and tracking. There's an organic standards person who's going to come check all of that paperwork. But at the end of the day, you have to trust those growers. And the, the purpose of organic was a lot of the methods and the, the thought process about organic. But what really gets regulated is things that can be measured and tracked. And so you've got some discrepancy there. And another thing that we really find is... It often has to do with soil health, um, with what varieties of, of crops are being raised that are being called organic that's going to tie to your um, nutrient content. Um, and so you could still be under organic standards and maybe not raise the varieties that are going to give you the most nutrient content or your soil might be deplete of micronutrients, and that's going to affect your nutrients in the final food. Or you could do the exact opposite of that and have a higher nutrient claim. And so often organic gets thrown out as not worth the extra money because we have not been able to show um, nutrient content difference between organic and standard. But I think it's going to have to be another level deeper to fully understand more of the pieces than what the organic regulations currently cover. So that one makes that one complicated. Non-GMO um, is probably one of the other contested pieces. And really, I think that comes back to transparency and how companies have handled explaining uh, genetic modification. And I think it's fair to say that it was not well done, right? right. It was, it was yep. n- not well explained. And so then, then it opened up um, pieces for, for frankenfood fears and things like that. And it's really difficult because we lose trust if companies decide not to be transparent, even if it looks like they're trying to cover something up or didn't do due diligence. It's very easy to say, I don't trust you, so I don't trust your product. And that's unfortunate because the genetic modification technology can do some really good things. Um, Maybe Amber mentioned it um, in Uganda, but there's a banana virus that is very hard to fight. And in in some parts of the world, the bananas are a very important part of the diet. Um, And they've been able to genetically modify the banana to be able to fight that virus where they were running out of other options. So that genetic modification, it might be the the tool that will fight that virus most effectively. But we use genetic modification on the way out, um, or the start was to sell more Roundup um, or to, to fight some things that there were other methods to fight. And so our purposes and the way we explained it at the beginning, the scientists uh, to consumers who don't fully understand what's happening did not help that out. Right. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point with the bananas. So for me, as a general consumer, I would say, 
you know, the GMO for that is fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. Because it saves a banana. Mm -hmm. But what does that do for their economy? I mean, think about it. What would they do there without that? Yeah, yeah. Um, And, you know, I mean, that's uh, very much a subsistence population where, you know, they might all have a banana it's not a tree. I think it's technically a grass, but it looks like a tree um, in their front yard. You know, <laughs> yep, like everybody right. needs to keep one alive. Right. But much of that research was done and then they slowed sending it out because the consumer perception, even in Uganda, um, was such that they did not trust GMOs. And so if there had been more transparency, if there had been more open of how the, the, you know, the scientific research was done ahead of time, that might have helped. But as soon as you cover things up or you're um, very secretive about how you do things, that leads to questions. Right. Yeah. I would say so for most of this, I mean, we're talking about uh, large scale food production um, and also obviously our produce. What about the animal side? Yeah. So the animal side is really, I would say, a dichotomy right now. Um, You have large scale confinement or feedlot operations, um, and then you have kind of your small-scale niche. There's a lot of conversation right now about meat and how much we should be consuming and how it affects the environment. Uh, And we often just get uh, livestock's bad, eat plants. And we're like, whoa, time out. You know, this is far more complicated (laughs) than that. And it really is, is looking at efficiency in a bunch of different definitions. So efficiency of Growing a lot of livestock in a small area and producing a lot of food is one definition, but it often doesn't factor in the true cost um, of food. And and a lot of that is environment right now. It does not matter on on how you define efficiency of production. In the state of Iowa, we have way too much livestock. Um, It does not matter if you take care of all of that manure perfectly. There's just far too much of it for our our land mass. And so you have to stop and say, whoa, we have to figure out a way to reduce our animal numbers in Iowa just based on numbers alone. Um, There's other things you can do to um, manage that manure as efficiently as possible. But the sheer mass um, is what causes so many problems. And so, you know, really what we're looking at with with label claims is humanely raised. Um, that's probably the one you see the most often. Um, they're trying to, to add transparency on, you can track back to your farmer, or here are the farmers that are raising for us, and these are our standards on how things are done, which can tie to, we're doing it at a smaller scale, we're making sure we have enough land, um, we're making sure that they're well taken care of so they're healthy animals, you don't have as many inputs. But it raises that larger question, um, which the media, I feel like, is not doing a great job. Um, And it's how do we balance what we know is good about animal agriculture, animal nutrition, with what we need to do change-wise for environment. You know, a lot of times everybody goes plant-based, oh my God, that's amazing, let's do this. And you're like, well, you know, I think there's some really interesting things. Um, As a food scientist, I'm absolutely enamored with taking ingredients and trying to create meat functionality with plant-based ingredients. But you also know if you're going to make a protein content claim on a food package, which is confusing but is often a goal, you have to look at digestibility of protein and you have to look at the amino acid profile of protein. And plant-based proteins just don't stack up to animal-based proteins the same way. Um, It doesn't mean you can't get some of your protein from there, but it's not going to be as efficient and it's not going to be the essential amino acids that we need. And so to just say animals are bad and all plants are good, it gets 
so much deeper than that to figure that out. Consuming less meat probably makes sense, but asking more questions about how are those plants being raised? You know, are you following good practices with soybeans and peas? Are there cover crops? Are you taking care of your soil? You know, what's your rotation? Um, all of those things have to be answered too if you're going to really look at it from an environmental standpoint. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of things we talk about, and Amber and I mentioned this as well, is it's really easy to get caught up on kind of the negatives, right? Mm-hmm. And and we see that social media really pushes those negatives. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we take a moment and kind of address the positives. So, like, what are some of the uh, new things in the industry that you are excited about? Yeah, well, as a foodie, you know, going into grocery stores, going into restaurants and seeing people caring about food um, and just new food items showing up is exciting because food industry folks are paying attention to us wanting more fruits and vegetables um, and, and having fun ways to consume more fruits and vegetables who are showing where food is coming from, who are including more whole grains, you know, things like that. It is still fun to go to the grocery store um, and look at new products. But the other thing that I think I find more exciting is is coming back to my agricultural roots and listening to some of the conversations about how food is raised. Um, we've been very siloed for quite some time in terms of, you know, you're in charge of soil and you're in charge of crops and you're in charge of the animals and you're in charge of putting it in the food package to get it to the grocery store. And we're finally starting to talk about things in more of a food system standpoint and trying to connect the dots better um, than what we have. I would say there's a long ways to go. But as soon as we've started to talk about regenerative agriculture, what's really happening in the soil, how do we get a really healthy soil to, again, get the most nutrients in the crops um, and the livestock that we're raising, and how do we use those resources as efficiently as possible to feed the world at home first, right? And then you figure out how to to move food to get to the best quality um, where where people need it. But putting all those pieces together and realizing that we all have to work together um, in order to produce good, healthy food for everyone. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Kate. We really appreciate it, and we can't wait to see what you do in the future. 